0: Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devika Girish.
1: And I'm Clinton Krupp. We're the editors of Film Comment.
0: Every year, as Halloween approaches, we're forced to confront one of our greatest fears horror movies. For this year's festivities, we invited two horror experts, Violet Luca and Maddie Whittle, to inflict some scary movies upon Clint and myself.
1: Violet and Maddie selected a couple underground favorites for us Mohammed Shovel's bonkers 1981 Egyptian horror musical, Fangs, and Andy Milligan's low budget sleaze fest, The Body Beneath. As it turned out, these vampire outings weren't all that frightening, but challenged and expanded our notions of horror cinema with their play with genre, sexuality, and political commentary.
0: We also talked about some other picks. Mahakal, an 80s Bollywood remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, Sandor Stern's exploitation classic Pin, and more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Today we are recording a Halloween-themed episode. Halloween has passed since, and...
2: It's passed
0: away! (laughs) Halloween is dead. Its corpse is haunting us right now. So we're calling this Halloween Hangover. And part of the reason is that Clint and I, your lovely hosts of the Film Common podcast are absolute wimps and avoid horror whenever we can. We just scare far too easily. But we knew we had to do something for Halloween. So we invited two horror experts, scary movie sensing. And generally
1: scary people.
0: And scary people, yeah. And, you know, Maddie, right, Maddie, Maddie and I are the original horror hags.
2: Don't, most people don't know this.
1: Oh, But <laughs> no. well, what an honor. Do we have to do? We have to invite you into the podcast, vampire. (laughs) Yes, I can't. I
2: can't
3: enter otherwise. We have the creaky door.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, well, we already kind. You introduced yourself pretty well there, but maybe you want to say a little more about yourself other than (laughs) your horror hag credentials, Maddie.
3: Sure. Uh, My name is Maddie Whittle. I am a member of the year-round programming team at Film at Lincoln Center. I'm one of the programmers, uh, currently the programmer of uh, Scary Movies, which uh, has been on hiatus for the last couple of years, uh, but we plan to bring back in some form in 2022, and so we are excitedly in the early stages of planning that. Scary Movies is is an annual festival of horror films, uh, mostly new, often a mix of new and old horror and horror adjacent genres and so yeah that's sort of my relevant credential I guess to this conversation
1: and Violet
2: well I'm haunting Uh, My name is Violet Luca. I am the web editor and digital director at Harper's Magazine. I host their podcast and I used to host the Film Comet podcast. She is
1: the
0: ghost of past Um, hosts. Yes.
1: You can't see it, but we're burning sage right now trying to exercise her. (laughs)
0: Stop it. I hate that.
1: (laughs) Ouch. Um, So. One of the things we, we told Violet and Maddie that we were both extremely easily scared and terrified of watching horror movies. And so they kind of kindly suggested a few films for us to watch that uh, were not scary at all, but were sort of horror adjacent, I guess.
0: Mercifully, yeah. I would
1: say the that horror adjacent would be a good, maybe. Would that, would that count? I think that especially, maybe we want to start with Fangs.
2: Sure. So, first of all, let me say... There is this weird thing with horror where people either hate it and just don't want anything to do with it and completely misunderstand it and I just like don't even want to bother with it. And then there are people who are like horror is my thing. This is my, you know, this, this is my purview.
1: Real sickos.
2: Yeah, I own this. I own this and like I don't care what other people say. And it's that you know, obviously there are gradations between those two poles. Uh, both of them extremely obnoxious. I find myself somewhere in between. I love watching horror movies any time of year. Suspiria, great to watch on Christmas. Let me tell you, a very colorful film. But sickos
0: uh, indeed.
2: Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> true sicko. True sicko hours. What's up? Um, so I, I brought in Fangs because, uh, which is a 1981 film by Mohammed Shevel. I find it a really interesting film because it's usually sort of Dismissed or sort of described as Egyptian rocky horror. But it's way more than that. So, a little bit about Mohammed Shabal. He was born in 1949. He received a degree from the Institute of Oriental Studies at Moscow University in 1976, just like fellow auteur from Africa, Usman Semben, USSR, big time, big time trying to win over hearts and minds in the second world quote unquote second world in the 19 uh during the cold war we love Mm -hmm. to see it um some really great (laughs) filmmakers period uh you know from you know the third cinema and other sort of national cinemas went to went to film school in moscow so shout out to moscow bring it back um
1: (laughs) i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) dead things bring it back um And he, you know, he directed 12 documentaries about Yusuf Shaheen, uh, one of, you know, one of Egypt's great auteurs, and this, he was a student of Shaheen, and this film, Fangs, was actually directed, or actually it was produced by the same studio that, you know, put out Yusuf Shaheen films, Asma al-Bakri, Yusri Nasrallah, like, like, this is a well paved studio, and the it, I object to it being called, you know, just only described as the Egyptian Rocky Horror because it's an experimental film, and he clearly, he clearly wanted to make something experimental film, and th- it, it is. And I think horror is a great genre to kind of, because you aren't tied to, you know, speaking in terms of like Rick Altman's syntactic and semantic approach to film genre, you're not tied to having a particular setting you're not tied to having a particular character you with horror you are unbound basically you can really do a lot of exciting things and with horror you you can laugh and you can be scared you can be somewhere in between like that that it it generate horror generates this kind of physical response and is really well equipped to do to to handle sort of more experimental forthright Interesting fourth-wall-breaking um, things incorporate different genres within the genre, and this is what this film does. So the film starts off as this, this young couple, a Brad and Janet, if you will, who are
1: Mona and Ali, I believe.
2: Yeah, Mona and Ali, who are you know sort of they're driving at night. They have a flat. Uh, they're attracted to this big scary house. Uh, there's a riff like character watching over them. Invites the them in.
0: The skeleton right outside the gates doesn't give them any pause. By the way, they go right in. Yeah.
1: They frequently just kind of blow through the sign. They're like, yeah. things, they, even once they're yeah. I mean, we can get to this, but even once they're like, this is a bad situation and they're going to suck our blood. They're like, okay. Like, let's keep, let's party. And then they're just grooving to the gym. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's New Year's Eve.
2: There's just like having fun disco time. Specifically, it's a genre of music. This genre of music is shabby music from Egypt. And, you know, uh, the Prince of Darkness, <laughs> um, who is uh, who's played by the, the musician Ade, Adewaya was a huge shabby star, kind of like the progenitor of the genre. And it was like this real revolution in Egyptian pop music where it's like, this is like the sound of the street. This is like, you know, it's very melodramatic. It's full of like double entendres and social commentary, which again, everything that's going on in this movie.
1: Because the music is such an important part of the movie and is also just like so fucking good. Like from the opening note i think it's just
0: and this i wasn't sure about the subtitles like how accurate they were uh i i tweeted about it because i thought it was really funny that uh, the word clearly the word prophet was being spelled as prophet <laughs> in oh, yeah. a lot of the scenes but there was this lyric and i was doing some reading and i think that is at the like a close enough translation is like everything is everything russian salad i mean <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. i just and and there's a point where uh, he's like i and good and creamy I think that is another yes. line in the music it's so absurd but the music isn't kooky you know the music feels very very like rigorous and traditional and it has a strong sense of rhythm so I don't know that was really fun kind of seeing those two layers play out and Violet, I'm I'm glad, like, the way you described how you placed this film within horror and your view of horror. I know I started out by saying that I avoided, I'm just a scaredy cat, and I hate gore. But I also, when I subject myself to horror, I just love it. I mean, I saw Halloween a couple years ago for the first time on the big screen and, like, couldn't sleep until the next morning, (laughs) but... The somatic impact of horror is so pure and direct and actually feels like true cinema, you know, like a movie imprinting itself on you that way. And what you were saying reminded me of the Linda Williams idea of body genres. And I think of horror, melodrama and porn as actually very overlapping and kind of all... Right and well,
2: yeah. Especially again with porn, you can be laughing at it and then suddenly be around. <laughs> like it's right. the, the boundaries between these things that are so seemingly so different are just blasted away, and it's, right. it's amazing.
0: Yeah, and I felt like I mean we'll we'll get to Maddie's pick in a bit too, which maybe describes what I'm saying a bit better. But I think this applies to Fangs too. I mean, there yeah, there's a seesawing between sensuality and fear and pathos, that... And humor. Both these films were, like, so funny. Well,
2: and social commentary. Yes. because like... and,
0: and that social commentary being delivered through a mode that is very somatic is what is powerful to me, because you're really feeling it in your bones while also having this intellectual experience kind of shoehorned in, and I think that mm-hmm. leaves such a strong, you know, impression. And I think that's... Fangs was really clever in that way and just to give people a sense of what we were talking about at one point there's this dialogic exchange between the vampire and like a professor i guess well yeah because
1: the narrator
0: oh okay that's what he was a
1: scholar of just or well he's like. he's
2: just like the the character in rocky horror who's sort of presu- presiding over the action <laughs>
0: okay okay you know kind yeah. of
2: stodgy and you know and
1: he says you know but he is also possibly a vampire this movie is so free and just like trying things constantly that yeah. are just like but whatever it uh... seems to, whatever ideas pop into the filmmaker's head, they seem to be like, all right, let's give that a shot. Like jokes, there's constant little jokes. Mm-hmm. There's this moment uh, I think, Devika, you were going to talk about this this dialogue between this scholar and the, and the, the Dracula, right?
0: Yeah, I think that is, I do want to explain what that is because that is not random. You know, that bit of the film seems so intentional and like specific yeah. and actually incorporates what it seems like you know, uh, shots of the outside world of Egypt at the time. I guess Alexandria is where uh, the shots are from because it's mentioned at one point and political realities. And this is where there's this uh, conversation about whether vampires exist. And this vampire says there are vampires all around us. And then there's a series of sort of vignettes where the vampire plays different social characters, so like a cab driver, a doctor, a shopkeeper, and all these a people. A
2: landlord.
0: A landlord. Yeah,
1: the landlord is great.
0: <laughs> and vampirism is kind of expanded. The idea of vampirism is expanded to you know something social and political as you know as a kind of exploitation of the poor and of the masses at a particular point in Egypt's history in the 80s that I mean I really took me by complete surprise because the film does start out as this like rocky horror parody and then it goes in this other direction
2: well I mean I feel like it's parodying more than just well first let me say what I find especially interesting about that digression is not simply that it contains this very clear social message and it goes it really pushes you. It goes on and on and on, like the music
1: does. It shows the entire life of the two char- of the two main characters as they like encounter various petty vampires in their day to day life until you know the the end of their lives.
2: Right, and more than that, I feel like again going back to this sort of the flexibility of horror, the potential flexibility of horror. It reminded me a lot of Last House on the Left, the original Wes Craven film. Of course, Wes Craven big time postmodernist horror film guy but there are parts of last house on the left that feel like 70s psa you know it's a remake of the virgin spring right it's it's using it's sort of using that same like these two films kind of mirror each other in that way where you know craven was sort of reimagining virgin spring but then there are parts of the film that are like they feel you know it's just like the the girls running through a field and it feels like it could be a sh- 70s shampoo commercial like there's there's so the contrast between these things is really glaring and it, it again it's another way to kind of set the tone to make it off to make it a little jarring to kind of put you as a viewer in a place you're typically not you know when with like melodrama it's like okay I know where I'm going and in with this it's like well how long is this like fucking montage of vampire stuff gonna last <laughs> socialist vampire stuff gonna last and uh it's it's the more than just sort of i mean what i another thing i find striking about it is that you know shovel who you know he he, he studied basically he, he studied oriental studies and again i don't know if he ever read edward Said. <laughs> Um,
0: seems likely
2: it seems very Very likely likely. what he's probing in the the first part is like what is exotic quote-unquote exotic to the middle east but it's in you know so it's like in the middle of alexandria there's dracula as european dracula as you know in a dracula castle um and and there are parts of it that are very like and all of like how they act at the dinner party that's a very like you know high western high society vision of like a dinner party except you know and they're being very decadent and it's like it's you're kind of put in this nether region that's neither the middle east nor the west and you're watching and it again it's like it's kind of dislocating you but it's also incredibly entertaining and it's it, i don't know i just find it so um irresistible, and I wish more people would just sort of be like, well, fuck the real world. <laughs> I just wanna go somewhere, I wanna go somewhere like the real world, but also like literature, like anything else. And I don't know, it's kind of like he, I mean, in addition to Saeed, I would argue that Chebel read like midnight movies by Jay Hoberman and Jonathan Rosenbaum, and he kind of put them all in together into one
1: movie. Apparently, he was like a a famous uh, radio host and promoter, yes. a music promoter, and Egypt's number one Beatles expert. So you know, who knows what he <laughs> read? This guy seemed like a real. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah,
2: he was a jack. He was a real jack yeah. of all trades, and I mean, the 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 fact that you know he was like connected to the music scene is how you know clearly why he wanted to use these very specific pop elements in this film. And I think even the moments of lightness, where it's kind of like la 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 well there are plenty of pop songs where it's just like nonsense words or just you know someone going la 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 or whatever like it's it's the cinematic equivalent of that and it's so um it's it's really you know it's kind of mindless but then it makes you think about the mindlessness of it but then also you can just enjoy it
0: I was struck by the fact that the vampires are called like is called dracula you know there's no like yes. um, and he's from in-
1: transylvania he he immigrated yes. to egypt because he saw uh, videos of like people packing into buses and he was like that's for that's where i want to be <laughs>
0: and cinemas and yeah yes. they didn't they didn't change dracula's name to something you know arabic or and <laughs> so i think that point you're making really stands i there is this sense of the part of the menace of these vampires and their castle comes from their foreignness, and uh, I thought it was interesting that when you go into this room where there's portraits of the vampires' uh, ancestors, they're they, they're European looking, and they they have these like kind of. I don't know what Mona Vampirisa or these like made up <laughs> names, you know? Yeah. Uh,
1: who looks exactly who is the main character, Mona? Like yeah, you know, yeah. the mother of Dracula looks exactly like this right. woman. But that scene is great because then they sit down and, and he's like, Would you guys like to watch a video? And he pops <laughs> like a, a movie into into his VHS player.
0: And they yeah. take a dig at film festivals.
1: I think it was was that a Shaheen movie that they ended up watching? We see clips of it. Right.
0: I think there's like Reef and Style at one point, right?
1: They definitely throw in some Reef and Style, but that, yeah.
2: But, well, I mean, there's everything. There's like the Munsters theme.
1: Right. Oh, <laughs> and, and the Pink, the pink, pink theme. Panther
2: theme. Pink Panther theme. All of this, and again, this is, because again, this is like unencumbered by the horror that is copyright law. <laughs> it's just taking, like, it's just like the full song. There's like, or even just like the use of Bell canon. You know the the AKA the graduation music. Where the, where the vampires just sort of walking, gracefully walking into their dinner where they're both eating food and then just sort of like jabbing different parts of their body <laughs> or another vampire's body and drinking their blood.
0: Drinking their own <laughs> blood with a straw, yes. like from their neck.
2: Yes, or just like pouring the blood like into their the holes in their neck. Like it's, again, it's this total burlesqueing of like these these ideas about western Western vampires. And what the West is, and it's just right. like and there's it's no so effort.
1: Fun. There's no effort to make Dracula look like anybody's idea of Dracula. He looks Hell like no. an Egyptian pop star. He looks yeah. like exactly <laughs> like an Egyptian pop star. Um, Maddie, did you get a chance to see Fangs? Were you
3: I did, I did, but I, I am just taking this all in because I feel like I that was how I experienced the film. And uh <laughs> I I I was actually curious about the music because there uh, the music cues. Would it be so expensive to make a film with all of these mu- music cues in our current time and place? And I'm just wondering so it was released with that music. Is that right? Yes, yes.
2: and
1: apparently it was a huge bomb. It was, it was a huge bomb. Nice
2: he, I mean, he was he really didn't have any um success until his last film which has the very delicious title of Love and Revenge, dot, 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 with a meat cleaver.
0: <laughs> Wait, with a meat cleaver as part of the title?
2: Yes. Oh my God,
0: obsessed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, This. I mean, this is, I mean, I would love, like, where is, I don't know, Arrow Films, if you are listening, please help. SOS, SOS, put this out. <laughs> put all of his films out.
0: It, he was a collaborator of Shaheen's, who was yeah. very well-known art house director, you know, mm-hmm. this, a, a highly regarded, respected filmmaker. And then there's this guy, this like kooky, I don't know, uh, making these underground, yeah, pop films that I frankly had not heard of until Violet um Hoisted it upon us to our great delight. <laughs>
1: I will say, you know, it was a little long.
0: Yeah, yeah, but used a trim. That's Western temporality. Okay? That is
1: yes, what I was exactly. thinking about is that you have these songs and the songs last a certain amount of time, and so you have these scenes and they're like there's an outro to the song and it just keeps going, and so they just keep having to cut back to like the same couple of shots the same couple of angles in order to like fill out this i don't know
0: that's how bollywood musicals are you know yeah yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. it's part
1: it's it's part of its charm for sure but but it's uh it is like you are like how long is this scene gonna last and and then you're like give into it and then you're like actually this is like really enjoyable just like groove to the jam and like i feel like this would be the ideal movie to to play on a you know at a party if you could like do a super cut of it.
3: Speaking of Bollywood, this this movie has so much in common with another of the films that I suggested for this conversation. It didn't,
1: didn't make the final cut.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's uh, this, this Bollywood horror movie from 1994, Mahakal, is in some ways very tonally similar to Fang's. Uh, It's a musical. It's do you want long? It's two and a half hours. Essentially, it's a Bollywood remake of The Nightmare on Elm Street and very much sort of lifts the story from Nightmare on Elm Street and fills it in with a complete Bollywood narrative. It's a musical. It's very buoyant there, it's very much a horror movie, but the horror is sort of constrained to the horror segments interspersed with sort of a a melodramatic romance, which has comic elements as well. And a lot of the music uh, musical numbers are very uh, just openly comedic. And that sort of blending of registers, I, I felt very strongly in Fang's as well as a sort of a, it's like destabilizing. It almost makes the, the sort of horror elements more potent because from minute to minute, you are shifting gears so abruptly. And it's good for the, the concept of a Halloween hangover. It's a good way to sort of ease into the, the rest of the year. If you've been spending a month, the month of October, very focused in a horror mindset, this is a good kind of transitional
1: genre movement. Into musical November.
3: Yes.
0: I haven't seen Mahakal unfortunately um but it is made by the Ramsey family which was this kind of uh, iconic B movie family I guess um and they produced a lot of these movies in the 80s that are just you know uh, schlocky but also have this like I think incredibly original and Bollywoodized approach to horror and like I haven't seen it yet but what you're saying also makes me think of how Fangs does this too and then if we talk about it in relation to your pick uh, Maddie which is the body beneath just how much of the ideas of like concepts of horror do come from western or judeo-christian um or I mean in I guess we're talking about body beneath the kind of, I guess, Victorian or kind of patrician ideas of morality and, you know, respectability and societal order. So that's also kind of interesting to see the Fang's take on Rocky horror show. Right. And I'm, I'm, what I'm getting from you is that Mahakal is maybe doing something similar where fears and anxieties that are rooted in a very particular way, of life are getting kind of, I don't know, they take on a different tenor maybe, and that's why maybe they seem like funnier or more absurd, because they're placed in this other context where they don't seem to hold the same kind of weight.
3: Yeah, I think, and I think it's an expansion. I think it's really taking the sort of narrow focus of the original Nightmare on Elm Street as a seed, like as as the germ of something, and then breaking that story apart and finding a way to fill in the gaps and fill in the, the, the life context and the, and the, I, I find it, a, I see it as sort of a, a, dissection of a horror film and then a sort of remounting. I would be curious to see other films by, by the, the Ramsey's brothers, because I am not familiar with their uh, filmography, um, but, the, but on the basis of Mahakal, they, our visionaries and it's rare to see a remake of a well-loved horror property that is doing something so original with it and so transformative and Wes Craven would be very happy yes <laughs> I, I wonder if he's seen it he, I feel like I'm he, sure he did sure he has
0: you're listening to the film comment podcast Violet did you see Mahakara?
2: Yes. The self-awareness is just so delicious to me in this where you know there's there's the poster of Michael Jackson and then there's the guy who owns the cafe who is dressed like Michael Jackson and does like the worst imitation imaginable of a Michael Jackson dance. But he's like, and I got an offer from the famous Ramsey brothers. And I'm gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna uh, give me something meaty, you know, <laughs> this, this very, court, you know, this very, um just sort of reveling in the pleasure of cinema and kind of like, even very, like making these everyday moments a spectacle and enjoyable. And I think, you know, there's, There's been a tendency, and I feel like maybe we're getting away with it, getting away from it now, where, um, you know, kind of, let's say, big movies from India or other, you know, Southeast Asia are kind of talked about in this really kind of condescending way where it's like, oh my god, it's so stupid, it's so crazy, and it's like, you know, and then they go doink, 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 and they're like, this kind of very childish, immature way, sorry, I'm not If if you're familiar with this type of writing, you'll know what I mean, but it just takes these films and, you know, it kind of strips away, like just only seeing it as so bad it's good and not really seeing like the, you know, sure. Ramsey brothers, yeah, they wanted to make a buck. Yeah, (laughs) they were violating copyright, but they also clearly had a sense of like, what makes a good movie and what makes movies pleasurable, and they were putting that in their, you know, uh, they're putting that in their filmography. And so it's just like to kind of step back and not just sort of giggle at it, to giggle at the absurd stuff. I mean, I don't know. I'm Again, I'm just like traumatized by seeing, <laughs> seeing like, uh, you know, like going to a Douglas Cirque movie and then there's like eight people in the audience who just laugh at everything like someone walks across a room and somebody's just like He-he-he-he.
0: you know it's like you
2: gotta you gotta get past
0: that no i think what you're saying is i mean really resonates with me especially with respect to bollywood from that period because yeah. I and mean, this is not just horror though it includes those kinds of genres i think that in the west i mostly encounter them being talked about in terms of camp yeah And that never really worked for me because when I would talk to my parents about watching these movies, they talked about them with a sincere sense of pleasure, you know, and camp, like when you talk about a Rocky horror picture show here, it's a different pleasure than what they are talking about. It's not, haha, look, that's so dumb and we're in on it and it's so loud and and that's why we're laughing. They star texts operate in a different way the relationship to the image is different and their pleasure was actually more sincere more open not you know kind of clouded with this self-awareness or irony and i think that's that i think what you said is really important like i don't want to think of fangs or Mahakal, which i haven't seen so i'm just going off of your descriptions i don't want to dismiss these films Or not dismiss, but even like characterize them with these limiting terms like camp or, you know, absurdity. I think what you said in the beginning, like there's something experimental about it. There's something very sincere at its heart is something that I want people to be, you know, really open to when they go into these films.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would I think maybe a better way of sort of phrasing it is that there's this
0: there's this form of appreciation
2: that's also sneering at the, the, the object. And again, it completely dis- discredits what you just described that, okay, yeah. Yeah, they knew they didn't have a big budget. Okay, yeah. So like, but I mean, even with Fangs, like the opening of Fangs where there's, it recreates the lips that are singing at the beginning of Rocky Horror. You know, when they shot that in Rocky Horror, they also just sort of painted the bottom of somebody's face black and like had them lip syncing. They did the exact same shot. And there's a way to light it where it looks way more realistic. And there was a clear decision by Mohammed Shevel not to do that. And so it's like, well, think why.
1: I love the plastic skeletons hanging all over the, the castle, like this. It's
2: yeah, like, I mean, it's like a Halloween know, party. Yeah, it's 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 just like it's a it's a
0: it, there's something.
1: I mean, the film is not trying to scare you it's not trying to like it's not trying to create realistic gore or 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 like
0: no it's treating i mean halloween party is a good way to put it because it is treating the fears and anxieties and pleasures of western horror as ornaments you know i mean that's Mm -hmm. what does halloween mean in egypt you know it's like this silly little not i i don't mean in a condescending way but it's like this are you, are you
1: condescending to Western culture to... I'm
0: condescending to Halloween there <laughs> to Halloween
1: Personally, I Halloween I'm not a, I'm not a big fan so you can condescend well, away. I really
2: don't like horror that much even though I did I actually it, I kind of like it
1: now I really like it I think I'm into it. I think I'm gone full horror.
3: Okay good
1: I don't think so it's not gonna happen. <laughs>
3: You just need to find your corner of horror
0: yeah 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 this is our corner clint
1: <laughs> well i have to say just like devica i remember that i saw the thing and i was like this is the best movie ever made and then i was like oh i've just never really watched very many horror movies but like the thing is incredible but i remember just being yeah. like this is such a it's a, it's really just like gripping me by the neck yeah. and like
0: I, I like, jumped out of my seat, uh, like, in Halloween every time the theme played, every time, like, Michael Myers, like, (laughs) appeared behind a door. I was just, yeah.
1: I am interested in this idea you mentioned about, like, these, both of these films kind of borrowing texts from Victorian England or, you know, I guess Wes Craven is, you know, it's a stretch to call him Victorian.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's Chronolo- he's like chronologically. He's living in twenty twenty one. Twenty he's living in twenty one twenty one. He's like living next in twenty twenty two. Yeah. <laughs> We're just catching up to him. Yeah,
1: But I'd be really interested to see like Egyptian horror movies, films that are based on Egyptian folk tales that are hor that are like, you know, updated to actually scare contemporary, you know, audiences. But um I'm not sure if we've assigned any of those so next time
2: well they're hard to get uh, with english subtitles this is like an availability issue
1: i mean fangs i think is such a it's probably must has kind of a cult reputation at this point so it is you can find it online fairly easily but yeah
2: even in egypt they don't as far as i understand again just as a person reading about this not actually experiencing the culture they don't tend to make a lot of money but uh, there are filmmakers who have gone there, like there was there was like a remake, Egyptian remake of Faust. Like that was, but it was more of like a morality tale. Like that was the first known Egyptian horror film. And it's like Egypt was had a very, you know, like India, it had a it had a big studio system. And it was like the center of, and I I mean it it remains sort of like the one of the centers of Arabic language film production. And it like they, you know, they had the star system. They had all of the great things that come with, you know, but it was, but it was located to a place where, you know, again, Uh, For whatever reason, in the West, people don't see a value in bringing these films over, translating them or showing them outside of very narrow focused areas of specialization.
1: The thing to do is just to flip it. You just we're going to some filmmaker has (laughs) to buy the rights to one of these films and then make like an American version starring, you know, American stars. Chris Evans. Who's the guy in The The Conjuring? (laughs) Who's the Conjuring guy? That Patrick one. Wilson. Patrick oh, Wilson. Oh yeah. I did. Um, one, I did have a friend force me to watch uh, Annabelle once. Ugh,
0: never. Was, Sorry. Uh, was, Sorry to this, Annabelle. That was
1: like that was like a really bad ex- horror experience for me.
0: That's no
3: a- comment. <laughs> I just like that. That should not be. That sh- that should not be your uh, your entree.
1: That's not my. There,
3: excuse
2: I me. Mean, I've seen okay. a lot
1: of horror. <laughs> I've incidentally seen. Well, oh,
2: but that okay yeah. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit more based than you guys, horror-based, um, but I, I think there's, there's stuff to enjoy about
1: Annabelle. I, I know, I was just flagging it off, but it, I also think, like, I kind of see why people like it. Like, that yeah. tacky... There, like, I, There is this, like... To me, it reads as, like, uh, manipulative and, like, tacky. Like, the filmmakers are just, like, going straight to, like, the most obvious things that are most scary, but it... It it works on, in some way at, more because of that. It's like getting at the things that I internalized as a child to yeah. be, that, you know that I'm afraid of: dolls, scary dolls, possessed demons, you know, demon possession, and well, um, Patrick Wilson.
3: I mean, Clint. It sure sounds to me like you. It sure sounds to me like you're a horror fan.
1: Yeah. I, feel like- I think I'm coming around because I watched the the other movie that Violet actually assigned was Pin. Uh, directed by Sandor Stern, a a well regarded screenwriter, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, and he wrote he 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 was one of the writers on the original Amy horror
1: right, screenplay,
2: right, right. and he's he's one of the greats of Canadian or con exploitation mm-hmm. films. Uh, I think Canadian listeners will be delightfully surprised to hear us talk. And I mean, even like the star of Pin is like. Not not the dummy, but the right. star of, not the anatomical one. You know, the stars of Finn are like pretty well-known Canadian actors.
1: Yeah, David Hewlett, right? David
2: Hewlett, Terry O'Quinn, a.k.a. Locke on Lost. I don't know if any, I never mm. watched it. I don't know if people care about that anymore. Nevertheless.
1: David Hewlett bears a in this film a, an incredible resemblance to one of my best high school friends. So it was very hard to uh, get that out of my head while watching it.
0: Do bad things happen to him? yes yeah i mean
1: (laughs) okay like this is this is also a movie that has these moments of after school special kind of interludes that kind of suck you in and make you feel comfortable and in the background under the surface there's this incredibly disturbing creepy storyline kind of bubbling up and that slowly kind of reaches a a boil
0: should I should I break it down? Break it down. Break okay. it down. So I wish I had like a turntable.
1: But <laughs> I would like to hear this in in chubby form, please. The, the, well, the first, the... first
0: I need to polish up my
2: Arabic, uh, but um, I'm sure
1: they'd accept an English rendition. Okay.
2: <laughs> so the the film starts with, uh, it, you know, there are these two kids, brother and sister, and they grow up in this with their father, who's a physician very stern man, uh, you know, the first sort of interaction you see them having with their father is like, you know, him being very gentle with his daughter and being like, oh, can you count to one to 10 for me before you go to bed? And then he asked his son, um, Leon, to count back by seven from 100. And of course, because he's like eight, he can't do it. And his father's like, well, I guess you're gonna have to try harder. And their and their mother is this like a neat freak to the she point
1: they have those like plastic covers on all their furniture,
2: mm. right? But I think I think uh, culturally maybe that's less scary. That's less of a sign to certain
1: culture. Always found that to be like a <laughs> profoundly disturbing thing to encounter. That's in so that you
0: house. can murder people and get away with it. That is exactly Violet. what I.
1: That's exactly <laughs> what I used to think as a child. See, I think maybe I am a horror person. <laughs>
0: oh, man, you gotta, You just gotta
2: keep pushing it. Just keep going you'll get there Um, but anyway so the their father is a physician in in his office in like you know where he sees you know kids he has this anatomical dummy he's a a pediatrician he has this anatomical dummy he calls pin uh show for pinocchio and it's just like he cannot tell a lie and so he you know the the father throws his voice and it's kind of a way to like loosen the kids up but he also you know while he's like treating them and make them not scared but then he also uses the anatomical dummy pen to talk to his children about things like the birds and the bees.
1: <laughs> like, or the need, as they call it.
2: The need,
0: right. Is again, that like, sex?
2: That's sex. That's <laughs> what okay. he calls sex. The need. You know, to, and uh, he's, I mean, again, Canada, this is yeah. like, this, it's, it's this level of extreme suburban repression. And again, it sneaks up on you. It's like, again, like Clint was saying, that has kind of this after school special thing or these moments that you might find in an after school special where it's like, oh, the dad just wants to talk to the kids about, let them know yes, what's please. going on. Uh, and he uses this doll, he uses this doll to help him get through of it. But then you see, like, how insanely fucked up this is because as um, the kids grow up, uh, Leon starts to, you know, he, he, never, he, never, he never stops believing that Pin is a real person and so and he eventually sort of learns to throw his voice and talk to pin and so he will sneak into his father's office at night and have conversations about what he should do with his friend
1: pin because perhaps unsurprisingly leon doesn't have a lot of friends at school and pin becomes like his his only only friend friend.
2: yeah And, and again it's clear and again the reasons why he doesn't have friends has mostly to do with his parents you know because his, his the one the one thing his mother says about a boy he has over is that oh he seems so filthy he seems dirty and you know you shouldn't bring him around here anymore and it's like you really feel you're like okay so this everything that happens after this kind of uh, has you know it, it has a basis in you know there's a cause and effect thing going on here however um, there is this ambiguity about whether or not pin actually is real which is a great thing and it's like uh there are certain scenes where you're like wait
1: did pin like cause this car to go off the road also i'm not sure if you said this but pin is uh is an invisible transparent He's chin, yeah. so you can see all of the in, he's a you know one of these invisible pla- like clear yeah. plastic skin so you can see all the muscles and all the in, oh. internal organs of this yeah, and he's a life size
2: he's life size and um, in one of the most uh, this does sound he, like an after school special and speaks oh. in a
1: voice that's like like Leon good to see you
2: yeah like, yeah he has a very unique way well and then also um for whatever reason there's a scene where uh leon is in there oh, talking with pin pin when he's show. little when he's little and he kind of goes to hide because he hears someone's coming and this nurse comes in and she uses pin, pin as a light. dildo she literally what? fucks she fucks the dumb i dummy. did not
0: no, see he, this coming what
1: and and leon is like Disturbed, but uh, he's like,
2: he has the appropriate reaction to it. However, again, you can understand why seeing something like that might lead you to be confused.
1: about your sexuality.
2: (laughs) But your sexuality, about reality. Again, uh, again, why, you know, why, why is this a, why is, why does this anatomical dummy that you're using in your children's office, uh, like the pediatrician's office have like junk? Like why is that that's, That's
1: also the scene during the birds and bees lecture. Yeah, uh, he's like Leon. Can you please remove the the cloth from Pin's lap? Yes. And Leon's like no because he already saw this this uh, other situation going down. And the uh, the daughter Ursula, is like I'll do it, and she's like and she pulls it she... back and like giggles hysterically
0: because
1: she, Cause <laughs> Cause she sort of has... she knows that Pin is fake. I
0: kind of just want yeah. you both to do this as a radio play now, Violet and Clint, like just.
1: <laughs> I I mean it's not like it it's 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 really. I did not find it to be like as creepy as I expected it to be. No, I I think it's very creepy.
2: I found it creepy and also incredibly sad. And that's one Mm -hmm. of the things I like about horror is that horror film can just be something that just kind of like fucks you up. Yeah. Makes you sad. I mean,
1: the relationship (laughs) between the sister and the brother is like very complex. (sighs) And just you kind of start to feeling. I mean, the sister knows that things are not going well with her brother who believes that Pin is alive but just doesn't feel capable of doing anything about it because she doesn't want her brother to be, you know, institutionalized or taken mm-hmm. out of her life. And so that, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's uh, until things go so bad, so wrong that, you know, they have no choice but to address the situation. Right. And you still kind of don't know if Pin is like... Well, the ending kind of clears things up, I guess, a little bit, but you don't well, really ever know if Pin is actually occasionally doing nefarious deeds yeah
2: I I suppose you could argue at the end it's still ambiguous but more more to the point I was just sort of I mean and I have this reaction with like David Cronenberg films where I'm just sort of like overwhelmed by the emotion even though there is this incredible distance I just find these things incredibly sad and just upsetting on an emotional level and like the body horror doesn't matter (laughs) you know not that there's body horror in this, but. Well, it's a form of body horror, I guess. But anyway, displacement. There's
1: not really like there's. It's not extremely there's there's no gore. No. There's no. I mean, but there's, yeah, but it is quite uh, creepy. Yeah. But speaking of bodies, Maddie suggested a film to us, "The Body Beneath" by Andy Milligan. Uh, Andy Milligan, Ooh, yeah. an underground legend, and this movie is from 1970, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Maddie, do you want to kind of walk us through the body beneath?
0: Perfect double feature with Fangs, by the way. I mean, yeah, just yeah. so much fun to watch together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
3: I was really pleased at, uh when I watched Fangs, pleased at how much the two films complemented each other. Um, but I so I was first introduced to Andy Milligan by FLC programmer at large, Thomas Beard.
0: We love Thomas here on this pod.
3: He recommended Andy Milligan to me, and this was around early 2020, so I'm I'm kind of a late comer uh, to this filmography, but in early 2020, the biography of Andy Milligan called The Ghastly One, The Sex, Gore, Netherworld of Filmmaker Andy Milligan uh, by by Jimmy McDonough, it was getting a reissue. It Got a reissue, a new, enhanced edition, uh, of this out of print biography published.
1: Even more yes. ghastly.
3: Yes, exactly, <laughs> ghastlier than ever. Fifty
1: percent more ghastly. Uh,
3: yes, and so my my hope is that he's going through a bit of a rediscovery. This book is beloved by John Waters and uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is a big fan of Milligan's. He's sort of a cult figure on a, on a small scale. I think he's very much a, a low-budget grindhouse exploitation filmmaker, born in 1929, uh, died in 1991 uh, of AIDS-related causes. He grew up all over the place, uh, settled in Staten Island for a large part of his professional life after sort of establishing himself uh, in New York on the um in the the sort of cafe scene he hated Andy Warhol
2: in the factory which I think I just love that
3: about him yeah which is uh that is in a sense seems counterintuitive because there's something about their sensibilities because they're
0: both called Andy well yeah
3: (laughs) that can only be one I guess Well, I think it was he. He kind of found
2: what Warhol was doing too commercial, and like, because like like as you were saying, you know, million it was like hardcore kind of experimental, not hardcore, but very in very into experimental theater and doing lots of sort of experimental stuff.
3: And he was very uh, films were very sort of handmade. They were set, you know, a number of them were set in the the old Victorian mansion that he lived in on Staten Island. Uh, The Body Beneath was made during a period when he was living in England and um, had a production deal in the UK. And so it's filmed in Hampstead Heath, which is this old mansion, very decrepit looking, very sort of overgrown. And parts of actual Highgate
2: Cemetery. Yes,
3: yes. Mm. Which is funny
2: because it's not even like the good parts of Highgate Cemetery that he shot. But but I was reading about it. Apparently there were, well, well, here, you tell the plot first, sorry.
3: The plot. Okay. Oh, so the, I don't need to go into too much detail, um, but the basic plot is uh, that there is this manor uh, inhabited by a, vam- a family of British vampires.
1: The Ford family.
3: The Ford family. Thank you. <laughs> that have been there
2: since Roman times, which is right why their right. name for is. For Ford.
0: twenty-one centuries.
1: <laughs> and I believe like uh, Julius Caesar makes an appearance in, during the feast of them. A-
3: Yes, yes. There's a a psychedelic vampire feast towards the end, which I'm sure we'll get back to, where we really see the whole the whole canvas. But for the the sort of main storyline concerns this head vampire, Reverend Alexander Algernon Ford, played by Gavin Reed, who doesn't have that many film credits, played a filmmaker in Tootsie, among a handful of other roles. But so he gives this very sort of grandiloquent, impassioned performance as this head vampire of this family that is facing the, the, the metaphysics of this aren't really spelled out but somehow their bloodline is declining it's it's, right. it's you know in its They're decadent in period yes and uh, so he has determined that they need to essentially convert the non- vampiric uh, descendants of their bloodline to sort of bring in new not
0: genetic material breed new vampires it seems. yes yeah. yes
3: they—they. It's, it they, it's got it's a very incestuous kind
0: of a eugenic logic Eugenicist.
3: yes but they yeah. seem to want to keep it in the family and just bring more of their family tree in on the vampire lifestyle I think.
2: right like all gerontocracies they wish to feast on the young
3: <laughs> yes exactly. and exploit the young <laughs> exactly and so this is the you know we end up Meeting and uh, getting to know one of those, one of his prey, who's a, a relative who's newly engaged. I believe she's pregnant. And she and her fiance both end up at this manor, sort of ensnared in these machinations on the part of the vampire uh, clan. And it's, it's part of what, part of why uh, this movie resonates so well with Fangs, I think, is because they both have very much like an old dark house kind of a feel to their most basic storyline which is you know a young couple stumbles upon this old you know haunted cursed inhabited by monsters mansion and they have to sort of reckon with the history of the place and the history of its inhabitants and you know there there's a mix of Comedy and sort of pathos, and, and like a gothic melodrama kind of a setup. And it's just all there. And it's even within the constraints of its low budget, it's almost baroque in sort of its tone to the extent that it's just all very
0: overwrought and very. And the feast is like, is yeah. felt properly baroque to me. It's quite yes. gorgeous and shot with like a fisheye, I think, or I don't know. It's kind There's of. Some effects
1: some oil on the lens or something yeah something some
0: obfuscation i thought that was just gives a sense of detail i
1: also think that this is one of these movies where it's a little sleazy there's like an element Mm -hmm. of sleaze and what's a little sleazy (laughs) (laughs) a
0: little a proper like long sex scene just like in the middle of this gothic
1: well it's not really sex they're just sort of like that's like that is also kind of weird that sex scene is sort of strange it just like it's
2: straight people he doesn't care about straight people I know exactly yeah Yeah. he just threw that he threw some woman butt in there just to please you (laughs) (laughs) that was for you Clint thank
1: you thank you Andy
2: (laughs) but but I mean I was listening to the Daughters of Darkness podcast where they talked specifically about this film and another Milligan film and Kat Ellinger who's like great horror, knowledgeable woman, uh, do read, listen to whatever you can of her. She was saying that like this film, like what Andy Milligan did with gothic and horror genre is kind of what with like, you know, John Waters did with melodramas, right? But because it's horror and because people you know, like you two assholes are like afraid of horror, or whatever. It's not as wow. appreciated coming on our <laughs> podcast
0: to insult us.
2: No, I'm saying to open our your mind. You're you're see, Clint. Clint is he's he's turning around. He's making the right to the light. He's, like, he's coming to the light or through the darkness.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm horror ambivalent. I'm horror ambivalent. I mean, my point, but my point was that the sleaze, like there's this, there's this film that you're left with after you're done watching the movie. It's like you yeah, go into, you know, when you go appetites. into some weird old apartment or house and like, you don't want to touch the textile, like the carpet just looks like bad things have happened <laughs> on it. And like, you you feel you touch it and there's like some gri- grimy grease on your hands or something. The move, this movie kind of leaves you with that, which is like, it's, it's like, I think deliberately it's this like this trail of slime that you're left dealing with after the movie. Yeah. It's very metal. It's extremely metal.
0: I, I was also struck by the fact that the lead vampire, Reverend Ford, the acting is so bad in such a pleasurable way. I don't know how to describe it, but he's so stiff. He's performing this parody of Dracula off a very kind of stiff upper lip Dracula. And It's so wonderfully silly.
2: Or the idea that there's, you know, the vampire, vampires who are supposed to be, you just can't even stand to be around crosses, that he's dressed like a priest. Yeah. (laughs) And he's, he's, and then not, and then he's walking around in the light He's wearing this bright red. He's well, he
1: apparently gets some blood transfusions or something that allow him to walk around right. the light. And he has leeches all over him at one point.
2: Well, yeah, because he has to like he gets too much blood, so then you put leeches on his body like that. He's constantly complaining amazing. too, which
1: I thought he's just constantly oh, he's complaining so, about the vampire lifestyle. He's like, he's I can't so believe catty. we have to live this way. But
0: he's so <laughs> and he's so British. <laughs> yeah that's I, I, the thing like he's not even trying he's not even no. trying to pass as anything else than a vampire but no one sees through his act and maddie i wonder if that's what you're going to dig into i mean i wondered if it was some kind of play on you know class and you know the the on the mannerisms and accoutrements of a certain kind of british class and what sort of uh, goes uncommented upon
3: well I'm just in, yeah I mean I'm just trying to think of other examples of of English vampires specifically and there's something about the british aristocracy that I think and the sort of the, the social history of it and sort of its significance today
2: Bram uh, Stoker was english between.
3: right
2: Yeah cuz he cuz he goes they they live at the castle or the the place that uh, Dracula goes to live in in the original novel Dracula cuz mm-hmm. Dracula of course comes from You'll treads from trats like Wallachia to, to,
3: to London and mm. starts his... str- cracking necks open. But there but there are no actual British vampires in Dracula, right? That's he's not well he makes some. Lucy Wisterna becomes a oh, that's Dracula. True. That's true. Okay, well maybe scratch that then. But <laughs> I it remains that there's something about the, the, the sort of fading effete sort of decay in this movie that feels very much like a commentary by an American filmmaker living as an expat but also
2: there's a great part at the end where you know that female oh sorry yeah he calls it a police he calls one of the police state and then this other female vampire stands up she's you know she's kind of like I mean everyone is dressed like they're in a Jack Smith movie but (laughs) even better and she stands up and she's like well excuse you know and we we should go to america and he he's like no because america is just religious freaks and whores and it's like he wants to go to america
1: oh she's saying that oh yeah she's saying that yeah Yeah.
2: and she's 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 saying that like you know america sucks it's not this land of free love or the american dream it's full of religious freaks and whores and we're it's good we got rid of them Yeah, we
1: kicked them out of our country we
2: kicked them out and it's you know the idea that vampires are you know they're trying to enforce the social purity too in addition to keeping their blood
1: pure it's just so i mean the ending itself sort of puts a bow on that too yeah in terms of like you know cleaning out the riffraff but um
3: there's a there's a part at the beginning i mean i'm sorry at the ending um where uh one of the vampires is going on a rant. I think it's, I think it's Ford is going on a rant about how awful America is um, and is saying, you know, you're Americans, you're the scum of the earth. And he's sort of railing against the prospect of being amongst Americans. And that was ripped from a rant that one of his financiers in the UK uh, (laughs) delivered to Andy Milligan about Andy Milligan and his fellow Americans. And he uh, transposed that into the mouth of this vampire who did oh, not want to it. be, uh, did not want to immigrate. Uh, and um, so I, there's definitely some expression of UK-US social friction mm. that was actually very present in the production.
2: I'm going to say it's equal opportunity of offender. Yeah. Not necessarily the one-upsmanship, just that it's like, cuz the thing like these are whimsical films but they're also insanely spiteful.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All
1: of it is yeah. just like so it's sort of just
3: dripping with meanness. Yeah, that's
2: and it's like and in this way that's, you know, kind of it's fun but it also again, it's kind of touching these these ideas right, that it's right. like, well, if you were a gay man in the 1970s, yeah, everywhere's going to be fucking hostile to you. Yeah. And, you know, as far, you know, from what I've read, you know, Millikan had a very Bad relationship with his mother, um, which again, maybe accounts for some of the misogyny in the films. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Uh, you might call it that. But he he has this really unique worldview that's just like completely unsparing. And, you know, the character of uh, the Rev, let's say, is, <laughs> is, is it's part of, you know, it's kind of an embodiment of that in a really fun, fun, and, you know, and just kind of exhausted, like, just I'm so over it way there was actually this scandal in the UK, in London in the late 60s, where there were actually these, there was the Hyatt vampires, where there were a bunch of deaths in and around the cemetery, Hyatt cemetery. And so there was like, people thought that there, there was like an age-old Turkish vampire that was causing the murders. And it, this was like literally reported in newspapers. Like people were freaking out about this and they got like finally they got like an exorcist to stop the murders or something but it was like there was so the the story is is based on true events in a certain respect which i thought was very funny but the idea that you know the british tabloids are like there's this turkish vampire causing (laughs) Carl's <laughs> like in a muck, a, you know, running amuck in and, and Highgate, you know, this quintessentially English cemetery. It's like, well, I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's a good, that's a good choice ripped from the headlines.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it's also interesting that both Fangs and this movie have a kind of similar approach to the familiar or the Igor character. I think we were trying to figure out how to place that because both films are doing something with class and you know, like the kind of sociopolitical context, they get bestowed with a particular kind of pathos in both, and they kind of I think at the end become the moral characters, right? Or the the characters on which the moral kind of trajectory of the film rests. And I thought Well
1: Spool was is crucified at one point, right?
0: Yes, as a punishment. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> For like maybe doing something yeah, maybe betraying his master.
2: He was considering
1: it and I couldn't. Yeah.
0: But when he monologues about his abusive childhood, that's like the sudden opening yeah. into something very painful and very yeah. sad. Like Violet, you were saying like the capacity of horror to make you sad. I mean, that was just, I had to kind of pause for a second and, and take that in.
3: Yes. I was thinking about when you said that too, because this is a, uh, The Body Beneath is a film that isn't, Terribly scary, uh, but it it's very haunting, I think, and just sort of leaves you with this sort of curdled, unpleasant, lingering mm-hmm. feeling um, that's partly sadness and partly cynicism and partly, partly just um, an
1: experience of Britishness. Yes, experience. exactly,
3: and partly an experience of sort of psychedelia and um, mm. the the sort of style of the film, and it's. Um, I don't know of other filmmakers who. I think it's it's a very particular cocktail that he's mixing here, um, yeah. and that's why I thought it was fitting for Halloween Hangover because it kind of kind of leaves you with a hangover. It does have kind of yeah.
1: a hangover vibe for sure. You're definitely just kind of like drifting. Well I think that's a I think we're gonna wrap it up there, guys. Thank you guys so much for suggesting this incredible lineup.
0: I think slowly you will turn us both. You know, just just keep upping the ante and sending us films. I mean,
1: I have to say that I was just hoping that it would be like I would have to watch something that was actually scary. No, you <laughs> I would were have not no Clint. You actually No part of me deep not. down I was that well that's, <laughs> I, part of me deep down was like once wants that, you know. I Yeah, inflicted I wanted...
0: upon us next time.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, all right, thanks all thank-
0: yeah thank keep going you, thank you guys
2: thank you uh please wash your necks
1: <laughs> you've been saving that keep one up, clean. <laughs> <I know. laughs> terrible the film comment podcast features original music by greg ing film comment is a publication of film at lincoln center since 1962 film comment has been the home of independent film journalism Publishing in depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream art house and avant garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.